Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. I believe we could have church around here if we could just get the praise team to get excited. (laughs) Wow. Oh, awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Please open your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 15. We'll read two verses, 12 and 13. Romans 15, 12 and 13. And while you're turning, I just want to tell you that a few days ago, I finished reading the Bible all the way through again. I've done it several times, but I wanted to do it one more time. Not that I won't do it several more times, but I just felt the need to do it one more time. And I read it through very quickly trying to get a picture, the big picture, of God's message to all of us. And as I read through it this last time, it brought me back to the basics. Things like faith and trust and hope and love and joy and peace and redemption. And you've probably noticed over the last four or five months, those are the subjects that I've been preaching on. Well, this morning I want to preach to you. I want to communicate a truth to you uh, that I think stands out as one of, if not the most important things that we need from God. I want to talk to you about hope. I want to talk to you about overflowing with hope. And that's what this message is all about, and believe it or not, I believe it's what the Bible is all about. Follow along as I read, and we'll take this, uh, even as we go through the text, we'll move through it slowly because I want you to see some things. Romans 15, 12, and 13, it says, And in another place, Isaiah said, Now you have to understand, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And he's reminding them of a prophecy that was given some 800 years prior uh, to his ministry, the prophet Isaiah. And in another place, Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come. Now, we know exactly who that is. Uh, The Bible talks about Jesus being the son of David. In fact, they cried out all the time uh, in the Bible, those who were seeking after Jesus, Jesus Thou son of David. And in some places they would say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. So he says, in another place Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come and will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. Now, right here at River of Life this morning, we are a fulfillment of that prophecy. We are Gentiles, and we have placed our hope in the Son of David, Jesus the Christ. 
And then in verse 13 it says, I pray that God... Now, this is Paul talking now. He's referred to the prophecy of old. Now, his word is, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trusted in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's important that you, you recognize what's being said here. This isn't just an ordinary hope. This isn't hope that you work up on your own. This is Holy Spirit-empowered hope. Isaiah said thousands of years ago, 800 years before Paul spoke, he said, He will come, the Messiah will come, the Son of David will come. And the Gentiles will place their hope in Him. And then Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you'll be overflowing with a confident hope that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the idea of Holy Spirit-empowered hope. You see, the world can't put out that kind of hope. The world can't take that kind of hope away from you. The Gaithers used to sing a song, The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away from me. When you have Holy Spirit-empowered hope, man, that's something. That'll last you. Now, you can take these two verses, this passage I've shared with you, and you can divide it into three neat little categories. First, the prophecy by Isaiah. Secondly, the prayer by Paul. And then thirdly, the promise to all who believe. The prophecy, the Gentiles will place their hope in Him. That's already been fulfilled. The prayer, may God the source of hope fill you with joy and peace because you trust in Him. The promise, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah said it would happen. Paul prayed that it would happen. And when it does happen, the people of God are overflowing with confident hope. I sense that there was a little bit of overflowing here this morning. Overflowing feels good, doesn't it? I I tell you, there's excitement in the house. The message is clear to the whole world, no matter who you are. If you believe in Him, if you trust in Him, if you... Obey the Lord. He will bring hope into your life. The God of hope will fill you with hope so you'll be overflowing with hope. That's what this passage of Scripture tells us. Now, let's just think about this just for a moment. Because I really do want you to get your brain around this. The Bible calls Him the source of hope. Another translation calls Him the God of hope. The source of hope. The God of hope. Do you understand what that means? To know God is to know hope. To walk with God is to walk with hope. (laughs) To be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with hope. A family that loves God is abounding in hope. And a church where God is moving is a church empowered by hope. I tell you, 
I, I pray for this. I rejoice when it happens that when somebody steps into this church, River of Life, for the first time, no matter who they are, no matter what the background is, no matter what they've ever done, uh, no matter how deep or they've, they've gone away from God, that by the time they walk out the doors of this church, they have hope. That they have come into an assembly of people who hope in God, and that hope has become contagious, and they walk out hoping in God. You see, God and hope go together and you can't separate them. I'm sorry, but you just can't do it. And when you find hopeless Christianity, when you find a hopeless church, when you find somebody who's drifting into hopelessness, they are drifting away from the truth of God and from God's presence. His Word is all about hope. God wants us to have hope. Now... You, you might be thinking, well, is that all there is? I, and, and a lot of times, by the way, let me just share this with you because this is a real important thought for you. I, it is not unusual on a regular basis for me to preach something and somebody to walk up to me and say, Pastor, you left something out. Well, of course I left something out. The only way I could not leave something out would be to start in Genesis 1-1 and preach through Revelation. And we don't have time for that, do we? So, so I, I just want you to know I always leave something out. There's always more. We're always just scratching the surface. And, and, but somebody might want to say, well, well, Pastor, don't you think there's more than just hope that God brings us? Doesn't He bring correction and chastisement? Doesn't He bring other things into our lives? Absolutely, yes, He does. Sure He does. But that's not who He is. That's not what He's all about. That's not what He wants to bring into our lives. That's not what He, he came to give us. He came to give us hope. That's what He wants to give us. Listen to this. If you were to sit down and read John the 12th chapter very carefully, you'll find Jesus saying this. I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Isn't that an interesting statement? Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. Now, will there one day be a judgment day? Yes, but that's not why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. L listen carefully. Jesus didn't come into this world to judge you. That was not His mission. His mission was to come into the world and no matter who you are, no matter what you've ever done, no matter what's ever happened in your life, is to bring redemption into your life. Not to judge you, but to redeem you. And by the way, if the ministry of Jesus was not about judgment, it was about redemption, don't you think the church today should be more about redemption than judgment? A church that slides into a sense of judgment and condemnation... They've departed from the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you. I came to save you. And then in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to kill and to steal and destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more, say it with me, abundantly. He came that you might have abundant life. Jesus didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. But He didn't just come to save you. He came to fill you up with abundant life. That's exciting. 
That's hope that's overflowing. That, that's what he, what he came to do among us. That's what He wants us to receive. So, so you see, the bottom line is, when we read this Scripture and many, many others, I'll share some more in a few moments, when Jesus came into the world, He came to give us hope. The God of hope came to give us hope so we could be overflowing with hope. That's what the Scripture teaches. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know what God has for you this morning. I really don't. I, maybe He has something a little a little different for each and every one of us. But I know this. If you will listen for what God has for you today, if you'll listen to what God wants to say to you today, if you will receive it, I promise you, you'll walk out of here with hope today. You won't walk out of here uh, down and depressed and defeated. You'll walk out of here with hope. No matter who you are. Now, I have an exciting verse of Scripture that I want to share with someone here who just might be thinking about becoming a Christian. Here it is, 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living, say it, hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He, he's given us a new birth, that's salvation. And what, what are we birthed into? A living hope. This supernatural hope that we were talking about a few moments ago. When a person has a new birth experience, it's like getting up and walking out of death, out of depression, out of discouragement, out of despair, and walking into the light and love of Jesus Christ and all the hope that He has for us a new birth into a living hope. So, so you, you see, the Bible is all about hope. God came to give us hope. I was shocked earlier this year when I did some research on hope and how it affects us. And, and I've already shared some of this with you, uh, but, but let me go through this again. One article I read, now please listen up. Because I want to tell you, this is Father's Day. This may change some of your parenting skills. This may change the way you relate to your spouse or your employees or your employer. One article said, Talent, skill, and ability will not get you where you want to go. They're important and helpful, but without the vehicle of hope, you will not get there. No matter how much talent, skill, and ability you have, you have to have hope. You understand? Now, by the way, these are not Christian articles. These were scientific studies and research. One article said, Grit, conscientiousness, optimism, passion, and inspiration are important. But hope is the vehicle that moves you forward and keeps you going. Do you know what moves you forward and keeps you going? Hope. A hope that the world can't take away from you. When you lose hope, you get stuck. And the only way you can get unstuck is through hope. Jesus brought hope. Have you been watching the news the last few weeks? We've seen this over and over, but... 
Once again, several high-profile people with plenty of money, fame and fortune, committing suicide. Now, here's, here's the question. How, do, how does that happen? How does somebody who has all that money? You see, one of the, the lies that the enemy will tell some of us is if you had money, you'd be happy. But the fact is that when people do have money, they're not happy. Can you imagine spending your whole life thinking, if I could just get this, I'd be happy, and then you get it and you're not happy? I heard somebody say that the poorest people on the planet are those who have nothing but money. They're the poorest ones. And uh, so if, if, you've, if you've been watching the news, you've seen this. They have no hope. They lose hope. This article I was reading a few months ago says, Hope is not just a feel-good emotion, but a dynamic, cognitive, motivational system. How's this for a quote? The article says, Science is on the side of hope. These are scientific studies. Science is on the side of hope. And, and I was thrilled when I read that. I love it when science catches up with the Bible. Little by little. One study said hope was related to a higher GPA. It was more important than the ACT entrance examination scores. Just hope. You need to instill hope in your children. Another study showed it was more important than IQ. When it comes to achievement, hope is more important than how smart you are. If this article is right, then the question is not how smart are you, but how much hope do you have? One article said brilliant, hopeless people don't achieve much in life. And I read this article on a CNN website, and the title of the article was, How Hope Can Help You Heal. That hope, just having hope, will help you heal. Belief and expectation, the key elements of hope, can block pain by releasing the brain's endorphins and encephalines, mimicking the effects of morphine. Did you know that hope is like morphine? Now, now that's a drug we can get addicted to, right? Hope. That, that's, that's amazing. And, and I laugh when I read that because the Christians that I know, the Christians I hang around with, they already know this. You can get high on hope. In fact, we should stay high on hope. Hope has the power to make you feel good and like you're on top of the world. Not only does hope make you feel good, but listen to this. Hope does something to the brain that speeds up the healing processes. I, I didn't make any of that up. That's all research. That's what the secular world is saying. The spiritual world has known this for a long time. We need hope. So I'm asking you this morning, don't we have an amazing God? He's the God of hope and He wants to fill you with hope so you'll be overflowing with hope. God wants you overflowing with something that makes you feel great. Something that's better than drugs. Something that'll speed up the healing process when you get sick. 
and something that will help you accomplish more than people who are much smarter than you. I especially like that part. Hope. Hope in God. He wants you overflowing with something that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The power of God. Isn't that awesome? Oh, friends. Friends, hope. We have to have hope. Do you have hope today? You have to have hope. That's what Paul prayed for. That's the reason it's written in Scriptures, so that we would see this and we would understand how important this thing of hope is. It was prophesied that the Messiah will come and people will put their hope in Him. And Paul prayed that we would have hope. And then when you do have hope, the Bible says that we will be overflowing with hope. Well, I'm just telling you, you have to have hope. And just in case you think I'm exaggerating, let me do this very quickly. Let me read some scriptures for you. First of all, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Psalm 25.3 You are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 25.5 May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 33.22 those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land, Psalm 37, 9. In your name I will hope, for your name is good, Psalm 52, 9. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him, Psalm 62, 5. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth, Psalm 71, 5. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more, Psalm 71, 14. I have put my hope in your word, Psalm 119, 74. And then, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, say it, hope. The whole Bible was written so that we would have hope. God wants us to have hope. I need to talk to you just for a moment now. This is kind of a sideline. I'm amazed sometimes at people who tell me they believe the Bible. And they do believe the Bible until they read something in the Bible they don't believe. Which means that they believe the Bible until they read something in the Bible that doesn't line up with what they believe. Are you with me? Let me tell you something. If you have not changed your mind uh, while you're reading the Bible about some things lately, you're not really reading the Bible. You're just looking for what you can find in the Bible that agrees with you. And, and for, for many people... They read the Bible, and if the Bible doesn't line up with what they believe, then it is amazing all the arguments they'll come up with to show you why the Bible does not mean what it says.
I'm not joking. Sometimes I'll read Scripture to somebody. I've done this over and over, and preachers are the absolute worst. We're the absolute worst. I say, well, let me read this Scripture to you. I've had preachers. People have gone to school, studied theology. Read it to them, and they say, but that's not what it means. Really? Really? So, so sometimes when the Bible says something, it doesn't really mean what it says, right? That is, that's dangerous, isn't it? Let me tell you, I'll give you a, a, a good approach to Scriptures. To come to the point where you say, I believe God's Word, I believe what it says, I don't care if I can't get my brain around it, I don't care if I can't understand it, I don't care if I can't reconcile it with everything else, I think I believe if God's Word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. If you're in agreement, yeah, go ahead. Now I want everybody who said amen and clapped your hands to remember that you said amen and clapped your hands. Because I'm about to read a scripture to you that I've read commentary after commentary after commentary on this scripture and every commentary I've read and everybody I've talked to about this scripture will simply tell you it does not mean what it says. You judge for yourself. Your curiosity is up, isn't it? I'll read it to you in two different translations, American Standard Version and then the English Standard Version. All right, here it is. 1 Corinthians 7, 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now let me put this in context. Paul's actually talking about marriage. And he's really building a case why you shouldn't get a divorce. And I've run into this myself. Somebody will say, you know, I love God and my husband doesn't love God. So I think God wants me to divorce him. No. No, go back and read your Bible. Or, or, or some woman, I, I mean, some man says, I love my wife, but she's, she's not a believer. And so I don't think we should be together. No. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, if the husband is believing, and he lives with a wife that doesn't believe, that he's not to leave her. And, and if, if the wife is a believer and the husband's not a believer, no, that's not grounds for divorce. You can't leave him. And this tells us why. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I think I, You probably think I've gone off in a... Com- direction other than hope, but we're going to come back to hope here in just a second. So, so basically what he's saying is, is if a believer lives with a spouse who does not believe, no divorce. You can't divorce. And this is why. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the, the brother, the Christian brother. Elsewhere your children are unclean, but now... Are they holy? Now, uh, let's read it in the English Standard Version. It's even stronger there. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Holy. I challenge you. Find you some commentaries. And commentaries are good, but they're not God. And God's Word always takes precedence over what somebody writes about God's Word. Amen? And, I mean, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? Now, what does that mean? What all does that mean? What all does that entail? I don't know. I've told you all I know right now. I don't know. Come up to me and ask me a dozen questions afterward, and I'll tell you the same. I don't know. But here's what I know. I know that the Bible says the believer brings sanctification and holiness on the whole family, and the whole family is holy if there is a believing parent. And I can tell you, you cannot find one legalistic scholar in America that will agree with that. They will all explain to you why that scripture could not possibly mean what it says. Check it out for yourself. And, but they can, they can sort all that out. Now seriously, I tell you, you can meditate on that until your head hurts. Or, you could believe it. You could believe it. Hmm. You could start believing exactly what God's Word says. And if you have an unbelieving spouse, you could start treating that unbelieving spouse like they're holy. Are you with me? You could start saying, God, your word says it and you can't lie. And you said if there is a believer and they're married to somebody who's not a believer, that there will be somehow, some way, even though I can't get my brain around it, some transfer of sanctification and holiness on them. That's what you say about my husband. That's what you say about my wife. I believe what you say. And you could start treating them like they're holy. I'm sure there's somebody here who has an ungodly, unholy spouse and you are a little hesitant to clap there. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what all it involves. I don't know how that sorts out in eternity. But I know my Bible says that if a wife who loves Jesus is living with a husband that doesn't, that there's something there. There's a transfer. You got me? You say, Pastor, why are, we, why are you talking about this? Because I want you to have hope. Amen. I want you to stop believing the lies of the devil. I want you to stop being distracted by all the, the philosophy that kind of takes away from God's Word. I want you to start believing that a God who cannot lie has said something that's true and that your unbelieving wife or your unbelieving husband is made holy because you believe in God. And I... So don't you lose hope. You say, what does that look like? How does it all play out? How does it all sift out? I don't know, and you don't either, and you're not God, and I'm not God, and we're not called on to figure it all out. We're called on to believe. And when we believe, guess what comes? 
hope. Hope comes. Hey, did you, you didn't miss that part about your children, did you? And your children are holy. You say, my children are holy? Yeah. You're, do you really believe in Jesus? Is your faith in Him? Your children are. Say it. If, if you have a, a child sitting close to you, look at them right now and say, you're holy. Yeah. And, and when you get home today, and, and when you get home today, say it like you mean it. You are holy. You're holy because I'm a believer in Jesus. You're a part of the holy seed. You're a part of the holy lineage. You're being, that which is being passed down from generation, you're part of that. And you are holy. Now I want to tell you something about holy people. Sometimes holy people can make a holy mess. Sometimes holy people have unholy runes. Are you with me? Let, me? let me tell you something. You can spend the rest of your life telling your children, you've disappointed me, you've let me down, you won't succeed, you're no good, you're, uh, you're never going to get anywhere like this, and you can use that negative talk, and it won't be long before your children will start believing it, and the enemy will inspire them to believe that, or you can start believing what God's Word says, and you can start calling your children holy. Say, you're holy. You're holy. I don't feel holy. We are holy. I don't even believe in God. It doesn't matter. You belong to me. And I am a believer. And because I'm a believer, you are holy. There's a holy line. You say, Pastor, you are way out there today. No, friends. No. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you want me to look at my children and call them holy. All you're going to be doing is doing what God's Word says, but now your children are holy. I don't believe that you're going to one day stand before the judgment of God and God's going to look at you and say, I really can't believe that you actually believed what I wrote in my Word. You, you really believe 1 Corinthians seven fourteen? Friends, no, God, God's not going to do that. Oh, well, hey, one more thing. I got to make sure I get all this in. So, if you're a believer, you should always have hope. Even if a spouse is not a believer, there's hope. If your children aren't believers, there's hope. So somebody here today may ask me this question. They say, well, Pastor, what about, what about my spouse? My spouse was not a believer, and they passed away, and I never saw a change in them. Can I still have hope? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You say, Pastor, how is that possible? Well, friends, he's the God of hope. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll really abbreviate this, but i got a story to tell you. Some years ago, there was a, a woman in our church. She was a godly woman. She loved the Lord. Never seen anybody more sold out to the Lord than her. And her husband was a heathen. Excuse me, he was a holy heathen.
would not come to church with her. I never even laid eyes on him. He didn't want me around the house. She came every, He had nothing to do with it. One day he has a massive heart attack. They call me. I meet them at Tallahassee Memorial Hospital. We're there. He's in the back. They're working on him. They come out and they say, we're losing him. He's going into a coma. We, you better uh, pray hard. And, and the wife and I and others. And, and I noticed her praying was so sincere. God, I've been claiming the promises all these years. I've been claiming that my husband, I have called out for my husband. Lord, don't let him die. Let him wake up so he can be saved. So we prayed that way. I mean, we prayed hard. And he didn't die. And that night, he, he was still comatose. And that way for days, stretched into a month or so. And so, but we started believing and we prayed, God, just let him wake up just long enough to get saved. So we prayed for him. And I believe God let me experience this so I could share this with you today. He wakes up. And when he wakes up, we rally around the bed because we don't know how long he's going to be awake. And this is what we said. We said, we got to tell you about Jesus. Now, you remember, he's a heathen. we got to tell you about Jesus so you can get saved. And he said, you don't need to tell me about Jesus. He said, I don't need to get saved. And we said, yes, you do. You need to get saved. He said, no, I don't. I don't need to get saved. I've already been saved. When did you get saved? He said, when I went into that coma, he said, while y'all were doing all that praying, he said, the Lord came to me and told me my wife was praying for me. And that I could choose to be a Christian right then and right there. And he said, Jesus came to me, quoted him verbatim, and said, there I got on my knees and I prayed to receive Christ. And Christ said to me, now it doesn't matter whether you live or die, you'll spend eternity with me. Now God let him wake up so he could tell us that story. By the way, God completely restored him. And he lived many years after that, wrote books, told people about what God had done for him. But what about that husband or wife? What about that accident? What about that thing that happens and a praying mom or praying dad has been praying over a child and they depart this world? Friends, I'm telling you, there's always hope. Are you with me? There's always hope. Don't you ever give up hope. And, and, and don't you let somebody who's legalistic take hope away from you. Wow. Hmm. I got ten minutes. And you're hoping I make it, right? All right. Do you have a drug problem? There's hope. Do you have an alcohol problem? There's hope. Do you have an unhappy marriage? There's hope. Do you have rebellious children? There's hope. Do you have a financial problem? There's hope. Is there an addiction... Deep down in you. That you've never been able to break. Something unclean. Something that you know doesn't belong there. And you've almost given up on getting that thing out of your life. There is hope. There is hope in God. i got to tell you a story. I love this story. There was a man 
many years ago, back in the 1940s, 1950s. His name was Stuart Hamblin. Anybody old enough to remember Stuart Hamblin? He was a, a radio broadcaster, and he was regarded as one of radio's first singing cowboys. Wow. Those were the days. Stuart Hamblin became very famous and very popular. And uh, it went to his head, and he had so much money, and he started drinking and started doing all kinds of things he shouldn't do, and he got arrested two or three times and put in jail, and then they'd get him out of jail since everybody loved him so much, and they'd put him back on the radio, and he would sing. He was America's singing cowboy. And in 1949, Stuart Hamblin invited Billy Graham to come on his program, and Billy Graham promoted a crusade where he was about to preach. And when Stuart Hamblin met Billy Graham, they connected. And a short time after Billy Graham was on his program, Billy Graham led him to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had a salvation experience. Word spread everywhere that the singing cowboy has been saved. His life has changed. And Stuart Hamblin ran in to an old friend by the name of, oh, those of you who remember this name, you'll like this, by the name of John Wayne, the greatest cowboy who ever lived. John Wayne. And John Wayne says to Stuart Hamblin, Is it true? Is it true, words out, that your life has totally changed, that you've been saved, that you've been redeemed? Is it true? And Stuart Hamblin said to John Wayne, It is no secret what God has done and what He's done for me. He'll do for you. And John Wayne looked at him and said, Stuart, you have got to write a song. That sounds like a song. He went home and he wrote this song. The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened. I have news for you. It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. There is no night, for in His light you'll never walk alone. You'll always feel at home wherever you may roam. There is no power can conquer you while God is on your side. Take Him at His promise. Don't run away and hide. Read this last paragraph with me. It is no secret what God can do. What He has done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Did you know He wrote that song? It shot immediately to number one in the country charts. 
Why? Because it's true. No secret what God can do. Friends, forget about all the lies the enemy has told you. Forget about all the no's and no ways. Can that ever happen? And start believing God. He's the God of hope who fills us with hope so that we can be overflowing with hope. Would you pray with me, please? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Priscilla said it and the praise team sang Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.